0: We'd like to continue our study of the great acronym TULIP. Tonight we've had a message from this series, Total Depravity, the T. We've also had a message on Unconditional Election, the U. And tonight we'd like to go to the middle one of these great truths. Uh, The old church fathers called it Limited Atonement. I am more in preference to call it particular redemption. So we're going to look at that for a few minutes tonight. And if I could direct your attention to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1. And I'd like to begin reading with verse 19 of this wonderful passage of scripture. Joseph, the husband of Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus, the woman that was chosen before the foundation of the world to be the woman that would carry this wonderful seed, uh, the Messiah, the Savior of his people. When Joseph realized that she was with child, uh, he was greatly concerned, and yet it tells us that he was a just man. Verse 19, then Joseph, her husband, Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, and Joseph, her husband, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. From this passage of scripture, we have the wonderful declaration made by the angel of the Lord, recorded here in the word of God for our benefit today, that the Lord Jesus, when he came, he would have a specific name given to him, which means Savior, But this one, this Savior, would save his people from their sins. And he would actually save them from his sins. That is the heart and core of this subject that we'd like to look at tonight, a particular redemption or limited atonement as it was called for so long. We find in this subject, as we back up into the scriptures and we look at the Old Testament types and shadows and pictures, that when we look at the first sacrifice that was made in the Scriptures, in the book of Genesis, and that was by Abel. Now I realize that Adam and Eve were covered by the skins of animals, by the God Almighty there in the garden, after Adam had sinned, had taken his whole uh, family, his wife and he, into sin and death and that that would pass on to all generations in the future. We are the inheritors of that. It's been been imputed to us. I realized that there was that sacrifice, but when Abel uh, grew up and God worked a work of grace in his heart, when he was blessed by hearing the gospel of God's free grace in Christ Jesus, when he was passed from death into life, when he was given the great light of life, the Lord Jesus, that he, declaring to his generation, to his brother, and also to his mom and dad, he took of the firstling of the flock a lamb without spot or blemish, and he offered that sacrifice, which was a type and a shadow and a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of his people, We have him doing that, but that offering did not cover Cain. It was an offering that was for Abel. The Lord Jesus shall save his people from their sins. Many years later, we find that Abraham's offering did not involve Ishmael. Isaac is called Abraham's son, is thine only son. So that offering was there, and Isaac became a true picture of the Lord Jesus as he was bound and placed in the place of an offering, and then we find that Abraham was stopped and there was a ram caught by his horns in a thicket, and that was used, and a picture of the substitute, the Lord Jesus' But as we move through the scriptures, we find the Passover was instituted in the book of Acts chapter 12, and uh, the Passover lamb was not made known to Egypt. It was made known unto Israel, and it was the blood of that lamb that was applied to the doorposts and lentils of the house of Israel by the householders. As uh, it was described, the uh, Lord would pass through the land, and when I see the blood I will pass over you. All the scriptures that uh, the sacrifices that were offered at the tabernacle were not offered for any of Egypt or any of the inhabitants of Palestine, but it was specifically for Israel. A picture Israel is the church, the sacrifices are for the church, and we find that as we move through these verses of scripture. Uh, in our lesson tonight, we find that that uh, the completion is found in the New Testament about those Old Testament types and shadows. In the book of Matthew, chapter 20, again, in the book of Matthew, chapter 20, and we find there in verse 28, the Lord Jesus spoke, as we find it recorded in our Bibles even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. There are ample opportunities for the Lord to share with us that if he was actually going to die for everybody in the world, there was ample opportunity for him to share that information with us but we never find the Lord Jesus ever sharing that kind of information. In fact, just the opposite—that He would uh, give His life a ransom for many. One verse of Scripture that is so taken out of context, and that's John three sixteen. And so many people rush right to that to say that Jesus died for everybody, and never look at what that passage of Scripture is containing or what it's about. Where. In that passage, where we see the Lord Jesus dealing with a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews, his name is Nicodemus, and among the people, we find that there was no room for anybody outside of national Israel ever to be saved, and the Lord Jesus Christ comes up and says, "'For God so loved the world.'" Now, he did not say that he loved the world so much that he was going to die for everybody, but some people out of every nation, kindred, people, and tongue, God would make sure uh, that they would hear the gospel because their names were written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. He's bringing something to Nicodemus that he was not able to comprehend. In fact, many of the folks, the religious folks, during the time of the Lord Jesus upon this earth and afterwards when the apostles were writing, Paul and the rest of the New Testament was being written, we find that most Jews could not comprehend that the Gentiles had any part, or any of the Gentiles had any part in the covenant of grace. But we find that throughout the Old Testament, they were is just hidden from them. They couldn't see it. So that one verse of Scripture is just taken out of context, and we find the Lord Jesus, when he speaks for himself, he continuously brings up the point that he's going to lay down his life a ransom for many. Tonight, as we discuss and declare and preach particular redemption, we are dealing with a teaching, we are dealing with a doctrine concerned about original purpose original plan and original design of God sending Christ into the world to die on the cross. Was it the Father's intent to send the Son to die on the cross to make salvation possible for everyone, but with the possibility that His death would be effective for no one? And we find God forbid. That is not the purpose that God sent His Son into the world, but it's so declared that way by the religious world today. That is, did God simply send Christ to the cross to make possible, or did God from all eternity have a plan of salvation by which, according to the riches of his grace and his eternal election, he designed the atonement to ensure that the salvation of his people was the atonement particular or is in its original design. And it is. We're going to find that from the scriptures Now, it is something to note that Christianity alone has an atonement. But most parts that are called, that call themselves Christians, have a sacrifice or an atonement described in Malachi chapter 1 and verse 8. Would you turn there with me? Back to the book of Malachi chapter 1 and verse 8. This is the description of the atonement by the majority of those who call themselves christian even is it is so that only in christianity is is there an atonement ever mentioned but most parts that call themselves christian have a sacrifice they have an atonement that is described here malachi chapter 1 verse 8 And if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? If you have an atonement that isn't atonement, if you have a sacrifice that really did no good, had no benefit in it, if you have a salvation where nobody actually is ever saved unless they move upon it, is that not described here in the book of Malachi chapter 1 and verse 8? Offer it now unto thy governor. Would you do this? Would you offer this pitiful, pitiful sacrifice, this animal, to your governor and expect to have taxes paid as a result of it? Will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? And so it's brought up here by the prophet Malachi, the last prophet of the Old Testament, to come up to this, to suggest, to bring to the point that Israel has been practicing this. They were practicing bringing the halt, the lame, the maimed, when God said it must be a lamb without blemish, it must be a, 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 an animal without blemish and without spot, and that there should be no outside appearance of evil in this animal as a type and a shadow and a picture of the Lamb of God who was without wrinkle, without spot, without any problems, without sin. So, uh, we, as we look at this, we find that the world has a different view, the Christian world has a different view than what we find in the scriptures. By Christ's death, he infallibly secured salvation of a multitude that no man can number, who through Christ's death not only may be saved, but are saved, must be saved, and cannot by any possibility run the hazard of being anything but saved. The Bible teaches that the sufferings and death of Christ were a real atonement, that in making it Christ became the substitute of those whom he came to save, that as much uh, as such he bore the penalty of their transgressions that in so doing he made ample satisfaction of the law and to the justice of God, that an actual reconciliation has been made between them and God. And all this was planned and purposed apart from anything those he died for did. It's not works of righteousness which we have done that cause God to do anything. In fact, those things, those works of righteousness which we are done, are nothing more, as we find in the scriptures, than filthy rags as dung. In the book of Romans, chapter 9, and we've read this passage a number of times in these studies, in the book of Romans, chapter 9, we find the Holy Spirit moved upon Saul of Tarsus, saved and became Paul the Apostle. Romans chapter 9 and verse 11, For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. The scriptures are filled with passages uh, that share with us the actuality of Christ's death on the cross and what it covered. More appropriately, who it covered. If you'll turn with me to the book of John, John chapter 6 and verse 37. John chapter 6 and verse 37. We find these words that the Lord spoke when He is speaking here in this wonderful passage of John chapter 6. and verse 37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. There's one thing, certainly, we can see that There is not one person in hell that God ever gave to the Son to die for, to give his life a ransom for, that ever came to Christ. They will not come, they shall not come unless they're moved upon by God. And here we have all that the Father giveth me shall come to me and him that cometh I will in no wise cast out. In verse 39 of that same chapter, chapter 6 of the book of John, and this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he gave me, or hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again in the last day. So every one that was given to the Son by the Father, he has promised that in that day he will raise them uh, from the grave, he will raise them in time also spiritually, and that uh, his work of grace will be in their heart. John chapter 6 and verse 44, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I'll raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me, Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God. He hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am the bread of life. And as we mentioned over there at the very beginning in the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 21, He shall save His people from their sins. Jesus shall call His name Jesus. And when He was born, he was called Jesus, the Savior, for he shall do something. He shall accomplish something. He shall go against the tide of religion, but he shall save his people from their sins. In the book of John, chapter 15, John chapter 15, we have these wonderful words written for us as we look at the subject. The subject of who did. Christ make atonement for. Who did Christ redeem? Who did Christ save when he went to the cross? And here in the book of John chapter 15, verse 13, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I call you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go forth and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain and that whatsoever ye shall ask of my Father in my name he shall give it you. These things I command you that ye love one another. So we have uh, the... uh, the Lord Jesus, a man no greater love, hath a man that laid down his life for his friends. And though we, by nature, are not friendly toward him, he has always been the friend of his people. He mo- That moved in him to do what he did as he chose the people that were without hope. He chose the people that were dead in trespasses and sin. And even before Adam fell in the Garden of Eden. He chose them. Oh, what love it is that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There was the purpose that he would die for us. And he's the lamb slain from the foundation for a people that had no esteem for him, had no care for him, had no love for him. They looked upon him and they saw nothing that would attract them. They were at enmity with him. And yet, in his marvelous work of grace... He comes with the rich sweetness of the gospel and the Holy Spirit brings it in such a manner that He raises us from the dead, gives us the new birth, and we are in love with Him who loved us. We love Him because He first loved us. In the book of Acts, chapter 20, Acts chapter 20, the book of Acts chapter 20, and there in verse 28, we read these words about the amount the number the group the people that jesus purchased with his own blood take heed math excuse me acts chapter 20 verse 28 Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God. Now, this last phrase is so important. It gives the reason for the rest. Which he, which he, which the Lord, which the Lord Jesus Christ, which God, hath purchased with his own blood. He purchased the church, and the problem problem was so significant that the only redemptive price that could be paid to pull them out of such a great pit was the blood of the Son of God. It was so serious that nobody could offer any offering that would clear the guilty. The offering that Abel brought only declared in a picture. But that offering did not take care of any of his sins or anybody else's. And all the offerings offered in the Old Testament, the sacrifices that were made in the Old Testament, and even though they were ordained of God to be practiced and performed, there was not anything in them that saved anybody. It was not the blood of bulls and goats that could take away sin, and it's not the blood of another human being the natural descendant of Adam. It's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man, Emmanuel, God with us, that can redeem us, that can purchase us. So the blood of Jesus Christ hath purchased the church, which he hath purchased with his own blood. So it is a known assembly, it's a known group, it's a It's a people of God. It's a people that God chose in Christ before the foundation of the world. As we find over here in the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4 says, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He hath chosen us in Him. There was a choice made by God. Now, let me put it this way. If God had not been involved in the redemption of His people, nobody would ever be saved. The fall is so serious, and the mind and the heart of mankind is so depraved, so sinful, so dead in trespasses and sins, so darkened, so everything that there's not one piece that would ever turn to God. Now, in religion, we turn to a God, but we don't turn to the God. It takes the quickening of the Holy Spirit. It takes uh, the work of God. He is the very author and finisher of all of salvation. He's the author and finisher of our faith. We have none less given to us, and we have to have a quickening, we have to have a resurrection before we'll ever believe uh, God. Uh, we'll ever trust Him. He has to make us alive in order to do that. We, uh, we don't trust Him, and then He saves us. He saves us, and then we trust Him according as He hath chosen us in Him. And then in the same book, in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, let's read that. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. And we we notice in here, in the very uh, verse 25 of our reading, And gave himself for it. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself for it. How this directs the husband in his love for, or the need for his love for his wife. Uh, so much time is spent on so much counseling, and yet the gospel is the best counseling. Christ is our best counselor, and it just shares with us, this is the kind of love we should have for our wife, and it can't even, it pales, even the best pales compared to the love that the Lord Jesus had for the church, and he gave himself for it. He gave his life for it. He shed his blood for it. He came to this earth for it, he uh, walked the path that was directed from the council halls of eternity. For it, he gave his life a ransom for the church, for the many. By nature, we just cannot allow God to be the author and finisher of our faith. We need to be involved. And that's the sin that uh, we have uh, in religion uh, before we're saved. We just... We just can't stand that God would take care of it on his own. He He needs us, we say. we, uh, And we may not say it with our mouths, but we imply it when we attempt to work a work of our own righteousness and expect God to appreciate it and accept it, when he alone will only accept the sacrifice of his Son. The blood of the Son is the only thing that will make an atonement for his people. And this atonement was promised and and taken care of before the foundation of the world. And Jesus, when he came, he knew exactly who he would lay down his life for. And he knew exactly who he would die for. Their names are graven on the palms of his hands. They are there. He is mindful of them. He has them on his heart and on his mind as he goes to the cross. It is they that God imputed their sins. Not the sins of the whole world, but the sins of his people were imputed to him. It was they that he became sin for. And it was they uh, that uh, he laid down his life for. And so it was the imputed sin of The church that was laid on him and the sacrifice was acceptable unto God. He saw the travail of his soul and was satisfied. We are so interested in providing something and it's only God that can raise us from the spiritual dead and cause us to see that it has all been taken care of. He is our rest. He's our Sabbath. In God's salvation, He is all our salvation. He is every bit of it. Would you turn with me back to the book of uh, 2 Samuel? 2 Samuel. We find that the opening of this passage of Scripture is called the last words of David, and there would be no greater words than you and I could utter uh, in our closing days, in our closing moment, in the uh, moment that God calls us home and the last words we give to those around our bed or the last words we give to those out in the field if we die there or wherever we are, that we have this uh, word that David gives us. It it says in verse 1 of 2 Samuel chapter 23, now these be the last words of David. And then in verse 5, although my house be not so with God. That's true with all of our homes, all of our houses, all of our families. There's just uh, a plethora of them that don't know the first thing about salvation. They're very religious, no doubt. Have all kinds of righteousness that they attempt to offer. But here we have that the righteousness of Christ is the only righteousness that God will accept. And it is only His sacrifice that He will accept. And it is only His work. He's the author and finisher of our faith. And here it says, God hath made, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant. It's what a blessing it is to realize that the everlasting covenant made between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit before the foundation of the world, when it was done on our behalf, we're the blessed beneficiaries of that wonderful covenant, but we are not the participants in that covenant. We have no participation. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in covenant agreement. They're the ones that have this covenant. And it's on the behalf of a people that could not even hold up one thought towards God that was positive before they're saved. They have made with me an everlasting covenant. Oh, to know that, that God before the world began was in covenant mercy towards His people Ordered in all things. It's one thing about the purpose of God in redemption. It is so orderly. It just flows with such grace from the throne of grace down to us. It's so orderly. God has purposed it so orderly. He has said, Oh, I will send my gospel to every part of this earth wherever there is a lost sheep that's been written in the Lamb's book of life, and there they shall hear, and I will work this work of grace. I will give them what he talked to Nicodemus about. I will give them the new birth. He "It's and it's sure. It's so sure. There is no variableness with it. Because there's no shadow or variableness with God, There's such a surety in this covenant of grace. There's such a surety in this redemption. There's such a surety in the blood of Jesus Christ. There's such a surety in the surety. And then he goes on to say, For this is all my salvation. God has performed it. He has given it to me. It is all. There is nothing else. I cannot do a thing to add to it. In fact, if I do, I've totally ruined it. So, he is all my salvation and all my desire. I just want to know Christ. I just want to know the gospel. I just want to know, to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To know that it is the gospel to the church is new every day. Christ is new every day. The blessings of Christ The redemptive work of Christ is just such a blessing to God's people every day. It it doesn't tire or wear out. We're not looking for something deeper. we we find out that's the depths. We cannot comprehend the depths, but we relish and delight in the depths of salvation. And then he says, it's all my salvation and all my desire, although he make it not to grow. Uh, There's a whole bunch of my folks my family, my children. It's not apparent to them. It may never be apparent to them. I was taught in religion that if you didn't have your kids saved by age six, you were a poor, poor father and a poor, poor pastor. It wasn't until the Lord saved me and I got acquainted with preachers of the sovereign grace of God that I realized they would say, I have several children. And most of them don't know the Lord. They, it wasn't their business to get them to say the words or to pray the prayer or to get them to move. They didn't spend their time at the close of a service and sing just as I am until it was wore out. They didn't spend their time uh, trying to prod them into a decision for Jesus or a profession of faith they realize that people are saved just like they've always been saved. Salvation is of the Lord. And if he be pleased, uh, it's uh, our, our wonderful privilege to have our children before the gospel, to hear, have them hear the gospel. Well, once they leave home, we pray for them. We ask God be merciful to them. But salvation is for his people, and he will do it exactly as he's purposed to do it. And he will save exactly whom he has purpose to save. And there will be no change of mind with God. He has an everlasting covenant. It is ordered in all things and sure. And this is all my salvation. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. All that the, the Father gave to the Lord Jesus are exactly the ones he made atonement for. He had a particular redemption in mind and that was only for the church. He did not lay down his life a ransom for all those that are without God in hell. He never had a purpose in doing that. He's he's going to accomplish his eternal purpose. And as we mentioned in the very beginning of this lesson, it is, it was, and it shall ever be the intent of the Father to send his Son to die on the cross To make salvation sure. Not possible. He has sent his son. To go beyond the possibility. That his death death would not be effective to one. But he has made sure that his death. His burial and his resurrection. Were made for the elect. Made for those that he knew. Before the foundation of the world. So this is a wonderful truth. And in it. We find. There is a Redeemer that actually redeems. There is a Ransomer that actually pays the ransom price. There is a salvation that is from a Savior that actually is a Savior. And there is no right hand or to left hand in this. It's just He has shared with us the truth about his very purpose, and he will accomplish it according to his purpose, and we can rest in that, that he will save his people from their sins. God put us in the right place to preach the gospel to the right people. He moves in mysterious ways to do this, and he will move people so they can hear the truth of the gospel, or he will move a preacher somewhere so that they can these people can hear the truth of the gospel. There is no hope in a gospel that is dependent upon man to get accomplished. There is only hope in a gospel that has been accomplished in the Lord Jesus Christ. As Jonah said from the great fish's belly, Salvation is of the Lord. Well, God bless you and I trust you'll have a good week.